us, we're in the middle of a series called We Are Garden Oaks. This series is a little bit different. And what we are doing in this series is um, really talking about who we are as a church, what we're all about, and what it means to actually be a part of this church. And so the last two weeks we've really looked at and um, kind of unpacked from Scripture our statement of who we say we are as a church. And so what we say here at Garden Oaks is we say we are a family inviting others into the life-giving story of Jesus. All right, so two weeks ago, we looked at and we talked about how the church is a family. The church is the family of God that has been brought together by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we saw two weeks ago how in Scripture we see very clearly in Genesis that as human beings, we are designed, we are created to experience deep, meaningful relationships. That, uh, that relationship, that the need for relationship is hardwired into our DNA as human beings. And so what we talked about is how the church is the family of God through which we find those deep, meaningful relationships. So we talked about that two weeks ago. And then last week we looked at what the church is supposed to be doing, what we actually do together as a family. And so we went to Matthew 28, this passage that has been um, called the Great Commission. And what Jesus tells his followers, he, he commands them, he says, hey, go into all the world or go to all the nations of the world and make disciples of me, basically make followers of me, tell people about me, introduce people to me. And then he says, baptize them. And then he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Basically, teach these new followers, these new disciples, teach them how to be like me. Right? And so, again, the way we kind of put that, the way we kind of phrase the Great Commission is we say that at Garden Oaks, we are a family and what our family is all about is inviting others into the life-giving story of Jesus. So we invite others to find new life in Jesus, and then we try to walk alongside of them and help their lives look slowly but surely, day by day, a little more and more like Jesus. So that's who we are as a church, but today in this series, we're going to kind of transition and talk more in depth about what it actually means to be part of this family. Um, to, to put it um, more simply, what does it mean to be a member of Garden Oaks Baptist Church? And what does it not mean to be a member of Garden Oaks Baptist Church? So um, back in middle school, I had this friend at school, and um, he lived in this neighborhood that had a country club in the neighborhood, and his grandparents were members at the country club. And so I was over hanging out at his house one Saturday, and he said, hey, let's go ride our bikes down to the country club. And I'm like, country club, like, what is that? And he's like, just come on, let's go. So we ride our bikes down, we go into this kind of fancy looking building, we walk to a restaurant in the back, and we walk up to the bar. And he says, hey, can we get two cheeseburgers and two milkshakes? And I'm like, dude, like, I'm a seventh grader, I don't have any money, I can't pay for a cheeseburger, I can't pay for a milkshake. He said, don't worry about it, my grandparents are members. Now, I had no idea what that meant. All I knew was that about five minutes later, without having to pay for anything, I was diving into a juicy, delicious cheeseburger and a large milkshake with whipped cream and a cherry on top. Or like this, this blew my mind. Like this was one of the greatest moments of my life. And it was especially great because as a kid, my parents were incredibly frugal, which was like, I'm super grateful for it now that they taught me that. But as a kid, that was super obnoxious because we never got to go out to eat. And on the rare occasions that we did go out to eat, like I couldn't even order a soda, much less a milkshake. Like they were making us get water because we were saving every dollar that we could. So this whole ordeal blew my mind. I'm like, how can I walk into this place with no money in my pocket? I go up to the counter 
ask for a cheeseburger and shake, and they give it to me. I ask my friend, like, how does this happen? And he says, it's because we're members. It's because we're members. So, of course, I go home. I'm like, Dad, we need a family meeting. Like, you guys are slacking as parents. Like, what are y'all doing with your lives? Like, we need to be members at a country club. Like, that's where it's at. And I can't remember. I'm sure my dad said something like, shut up, son, and go clean your room. Like, stop being ridiculous. All right, but, but that was my experience. That was kind of the first memory I had of what it looked like to be a member of something. And so again, in my mind, being a member of something meant that there were certain perks, there were certain privileges that I got because I was a member. Are you thinking about Costco? If you're a member at Costco, why are you a member at Costco? For the perks. And what are the perks at Costco? It's not a discount because Costco is dang expensive, right? Like I remember the first time we went shopping at Costco and we checked out and I almost had a heart attack. Like it's crazy. You don't have a membership at Costco because it's cheap. You have a membership at Costco for the amazing $1.50 hot dogs, right? That's the perk. That's why you have a membership at Costco, because you want the privilege of those amazing $1.50 hot dogs. And so, so that's how we think of it, right? When we think of being a member to something, we naturally think about the perks and the privileges that we receive as members to whatever the organization is. And so the question is, is, is that true of church membership? Like, what does church membership actually mean? Is being a member of a church, is it the same as being a member at Costco or at the country club where you join, you become a member, and then you get all these perks and privileges, or is it actually more than that? So Paul, um, he he wrote to a local church in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, a little under 2,000 years ago, and Paul actually answers this question. So in verse 11 and 12, he's kind of writing about the role of the leaders of the church and the role of the members of the congregation of the church and the role that each of them are to play in the family of the church. So Ephesians 4, verse 11, this is what Paul says. He says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Now real quick before we move on to verse 12, Um, If you kind of dig into this and get into the weeds and read commentaries and everything, there's lots of different opinions on what some of these offices and titles mean. Like when it says, you know, apostles and prophets, there's all this debate on, you know, is Paul, when he says apostles, is that like, you know, the, the 12 apostles who are eyewitnesses to Jesus and now there's no more apostles? And when he says prophets, is that talking about the Old Testament prophets that said, you know, thus says the Lord, but nowadays there's no more prophets? Like, what is he and is he not talking about? Now, I've got an opinion on that, and I think my opinion is the correct one, because that's why I have the opinion on it. But, but that's not what we're dealing with today. So don't get caught up on what these things mean and what these things don't mean. But here's the thing you need to understand about these different offices that Paul talks about here. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Every one of these offices, what they do or what they did was that they lead out the people of God by teaching by speaking, by proclaiming. So the apostles, they led the early church by carrying on the teachings of Christ. The prophets spoke truth. They taught truth on behalf of God. The evangelist, an evangelist is somebody who speaks and proclaims the good news of the gospel. And then pastors and teachers, that's obvious, those who teach the word of God. So every one of these offices that Paul mentions here, the thing they have in common is that these are people who lead the church primarily through teaching. All right, so, so look at what Paul says. He says, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church, the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, all those who lead by teaching. But then listen to this. He says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Right? In Paul's language, the most literal translation of that is Paul says their responsibility, talking about the leaders of the church, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. What Paul says is it's the job of church leaders to equip the saints, to equip the congregation, to equip members to do the work of ministry. Right? Isn't this such a dramatic shift from what most of us assumed was the picture of the church and the role between pastors and members? Like this is a complete 180 to how so many people in our culture view church membership. Because what, what a lot of us assume is we assume, well, our church pays the pastors to do the work of ministry, and as the congregation, we just kind of sit in the pews and we let them minister to us. But Paul clearly here says that is not God's design for the church at all. He says that the job of the leaders within the church is to raise up, to equip the saints, to equip the congregation so that they do the work of ministry. So if you're taking notes there on your note sheet, I encourage you to write this down. The main idea that Paul paints here is so important, it's that every member is a minister. What Paul is telling us here is that every single church member is a minister. If you are a member of a church, you are a minister, or at least you are called to be a minister. See, one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that within Christianity, there is no kind of hierarchy or special class of Christians. Within Christianity, the biblical picture is not that, you know, like myself and, and Carlos and Ryan as pastors who work here at the church, the picture is not that we are like varsity level Christians, and then the rest of you who work, you know, quote unquote normal jobs, y'all are sort of like junior varsity, but we really do all the heavy lifting. That is not the biblical picture at all, right? The, the picture that the New Testament paints, and the New Testament is crystal clear about this, is that we have one mediator between God and people, right? There's one mediator between God and people, and that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the only go-between. He's the only mediator between a human being and God. And so what that means is that if Jesus is our mediator, if Jesus is our great high priest, you don't need to come to me. You don't need to go to Carlos. You don't need to go to Ryan to talk to God, to pray to God. Now, we would love to pray for you. We would love to walk with you, but you don't need to come to us for you to have access to God because since Jesus is our high priest, if you are in Christ, you have that direct access to the Father yourself. Right? The New Testament is crystal clear about that. And then the New Testament is clear that those of us who are in Christ, we all have been given by Christ the exact same Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the exact same Holy Spirit that I have. You've got the same access to the Father that I do, and you've got the same Holy Spirit that I do, and that Holy Spirit equips each of us for ministry. 
And so Paul here, he wants to remind the Christians in the church of Ephesus of, hey guys, you've got access to the Father. You don't need to go to the priest. You don't need to go to the pastors. You don't have to go to the public. There's no one keeping you between you and the Father. Christ is the mediator. He has brought you to the Father. You've got that access. And he wants us to remember that you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And as such, he's telling them, you are a minister. You are called and you are equipped to do the work of ministry. So Paul clear, he, he lays out this, I think what for a lot of us is kind of paradigm shifting that each of us who are in Christ is called to be a minister. Now, this is one of the reasons why we do our benediction a little bit different here at Garden Oaks. This is why we want you as the congregation to join in and you say the benediction and we say it together. It's because I don't have some access to the Father that you don't have. And I don't have some Holy Spirit that you don't have. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have access to the Father. So when we speak that benediction or that blessing, it's not just that I'm the only one who can go to God and speak that over you. You can go to God and we can speak that over one another because we are all ministers together. This is Paul's big idea here. Every church member is a minister. So, Now, with that truth and understanding that, here's where the idea of what it means and what it doesn't mean to be a church member kind of begins to come into view. And more specifically, again, what it means and what it does not mean to be a member here at Garden Oaks Baptist Church. So if every member is a minister, then what is church membership all about? And if you're taking notes, write this down. This is is so, so, so important. If you're already a member here or if you've been thinking about possibly becoming a member here, you need to know this. Church membership is not about gaining privileges, it's about taking responsibilities. Nowhere in scripture do we get the idea that church membership is about gaining perks and privileges. It's always about taking responsibilities. See, the reason I wanted my parents to join that country club was because of the privileges and the perks I would get if we became members. It was because members got something that non-members did not. And in my seventh grade mind, that thing was cheeseburgers and milkshakes. So I wanted those cheeseburgers and milkshakes that all the non-members couldn't have. But again, that's not the same of church membership. That's not true of church membership. Here, according to Paul, and remember, Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so really this is according to God. According to God, it is completely false. It's completely incorrect to think that church membership is about gaining privileges. It's not Paul says, it's about taking responsibility. It's about taking responsibility to be a minister and help the church accomplish its mission, which ultimately is the Great Commission. And so let me, let me be as clear as I can. If you're a member here at Garden Oaks, or if you're kind of thinking about and praying about becoming a member, when you become a member here, there is no special perk, there is no special privilege that you receive that you would not have if you were not a member. Right, literally, like, like the only thing that members can do that you can't do if you're not officially a member is um, things like vote on things like our annual budget when we come and have our church business meetings, which I know you're all like, that sounds so exciting. How do I do that? Like, man, I want that. No, but that's it. 
That's it. Here's, here's the reality. If you're sick and you're in the hospital, we'll come visit you and we'll come pray for you. Whether you're a member or not a member, that doesn't matter because you're a human being who's loved by God. Right? If you've got a friend or a family member who passes away and they don't have a church home and you need um, a place to do their funeral service, you can use this room free of charge, no questions asked. We don't care if you're a member or not a member because you're a human being who's loved by God. And if you want to use the gym or the fellowship hall for like a family dinner or family reunion, we're not going to ask if you're a member or not a member. If the logistics work out, you can use the facilities because you're a human being who's loved by God. And if you lose your job and you have a dire financial need, we're not going to say, oh, is this person a member? Have they, have they given to the church? How many Sundays do they attend a month? It doesn't matter. If, if it's a legitimate need and we have the capability to meet that need, we'll try to meet that need whether or not you are a member. That doesn't matter because you're a human being who's loved by God. That's not what church membership means. So when you become a member of the local church, listen, let me be clear. And you become a member of the local church. The biblical perspective is not that you get some fancy membership card that you put in your wallet that you flash when you want some special perks and privileges. When you join, you don't get a membership card. Paul's painting the picture that when you become a member of a church, you get a hammer and a bucket of nails and you get put to work doing the work of ministry. Somebody else clap for that. Come on, somebody else join Veronica in that. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you. Right, that's the picture that Paul's painting here. And again, here's, here's what you got to understand. That's not my idea or interpretation. That's not our deacon's idea that they came up with in a deacon's meeting. That's not something that a former pastor uh, thought up and put somewhere into our bylaws or statement of faith. This is straight from God's word. That the role of the leaders of the church are to equip the body, to equip the saints, to equip the congregation to do the work of ministry. You are a minister. And so church membership is about you taking responsibility to help the church accomplish her mission. Which again, ultimately at the end of the day, is the great commission. And so again, just to make it practical and personal for us. Being a member here at Garden Oaks is you coveting with us, you making the commitment with us, you saying, hey, I'm going to take responsibility to help the church to be a family who's inviting others into the life-giving story of Jesus. It's you saying, I'm going to make the mission of the church my mission. I'm going to make the goal of the church my goal. I'm going to seek to do what I can do to help the church be who God has called her to be. And so... Here's the deal. The New Testament local church picture is that membership in the local church, it actually means something. And I know, unfortunately, in our day and age and in our kind of Western consumeristic culture, we have watered church membership down so much to where a lot of times it doesn't even mean anything. Right? How many times have you been in church for a long time? You've encountered so many people, haven't you, who at the end of a service, they walked down an aisle, they said, hey, I want to join the church. They filled out some information on a card, 
Their name got added to a role somewhere. They were officially a member, and then nobody saw them again for three and a half years. Right? That, that is not the New Testament picture of church membership. The New Testament picture is that membership actually means something. It means that you are a minister who is taking responsibility for the mission of the church. And so, here at Carnegie just our, our only heart, our only drive, our only desire is to be faithful to Scripture. And so if Scripture paints the picture that membership means something, we want membership to mean something. And so that means that we actually have expectations for our members. And again, I know that kind of sounds weird, that kind of sounds foreign, but again, the, the New Testament picture is that membership means something. So if you become a member here, there are things that we actually expect of you. And so just briefly as we wrap up, I want to talk through four things that we expect of members here. Now, if, um, if you're here and you're kind of considering becoming a member, let me encourage you, listen to these, lean into these, hear these, process these before you actually decide if you want to become a member here. If you're already a member, listen to these and ask, hey, am, am I taking responsibility? Am I doing my part meeting these expectations? One other thing. These four things I'm going to give you, we say these are expectations, not requirements. Next week, we'll actually talk about the only two things that are required for membership, and it's something anybody can do. But these are expectations, meaning that we want all of our members doing all of these things. But if you're not doing some of these things, we're not going to come and say, well, you're not doing these things, so you're kicked out of the church. No, we'll lovingly encourage you because we believe they matter. We believe they are important. But these are the things that we expect church members to do because... If every member is a minister, then it's the responsibility of ministers to help the church accomplish its mission. So here's how we expect members to help us accomplish a mission. First, we expect members to say, I will be part of the family. Remember who we say we are is that we are a family inviting others into the life-giving story of Jesus. So we expect members to commit and say, I will be part of the family. Not just I'm going to show up and slip in and slip out on a Sunday, but I will actually be part of the family. And there's two ways we want you to do this. The first is by connecting to a small group. The first way you're a meaningful part of the family is by connecting to a small group. Now, we've talked like in nauseam about small groups the last two weeks. Some of you, at least I hope, you're sick of hearing about small groups, but we're not done yet. But what we've talked two weeks ago about kind of the, the why behind small groups is because through small groups we find relationship and then through those deep, meaningful relationships, discipleship and spiritual growth can happen. We've, we've talked in depth about that. So I don't want to talk about kind of the, the why, but one thing we haven't yet talked about is the what. And some of you may be kind of curious, you may be wondering, okay, like, I understand why small groups matter, I understand why they're important, but, like, if I go check out a small group, what actually happens? Like, if I show up to somebody's house on a Sunday night or a Tuesday night, like, what does that actually look like? So check out this quick video, you can hear from Jason, who's been leading one of our small groups for the last couple months, and get a little bit clearer of a picture of what actually happens at small groups. Check this out. Hi, my name is Jason. I'm a facilitator for our small group and also host at my house. Let me tell you a little bit more about small groups here at Garden Oaks. When someone shows up at our small group, uh, our gates usually open around six. We hang out, chit chat, usually have some good food and things kick off usually around seven o'clock. Um, I jokingly say we land the plane about eight o'clock and respect everybody's time. 
During the small group process, we uh, usually get to know each other before we kick off into God's Word and have a great time of fellowship and just get to know one another as we share stories of each other's life throughout the week. During our small group time, we always open up in prayer and then we usually unpack some of the message from Sunday service. Small groups have impacted me personally over the years through relationships I didn't even know I was going to run into. Over the past probably eight to ten years of being in groups, I've got to meet strangers that have changed my life and I've gotten to grow deeper with people that I've already had relationship with. I'm thankful for everyone I've ran across in my small groups and have lifelong relationships that only through Christ that I could ever give credit to. So again, as we've talked about the last few weeks, we can't be a real, genuine, meaningful family when we only show up here and we, we see each other on Sunday morning for about an hour and we wave to each other from across the room. That, that's, that's not enough for deep, meaningful relationships. And so if you remember, we, we want you to be connected we want you in deep, meaningful relationships where you can not only find relationship and feel that need that you were created to experience, but through that, you can experience discipleship and spiritual growth. And so one of the ways, one of the things that means to be part of the family here is by connecting to a small group. Here's the second thing we expect you to do to be part of the family. We, we, we say that you are part of the family by serving others. Right, our serving one another makes us a family. See, in the church family, every single person has a role to play. One of the kind of analogies that the New Testament uses for the church is that the church is a body. And the picture that the scriptures paint is that we are all different parts of that body. And so, so think about like an actual human body. You know, a, a hand's a hand. A hand doesn't do what your liver does. And your liver doesn't do um, what your foot does. Your foot doesn't do what your heart does. None of those things do the same thing. They all do different things. But you need all of those to be a fully functional and healthy body. And it's the same within the church family. God has made each of us differently. We all have different roles to play. We all serve in, in vastly different ways. But for us to be a functioning, healthy family we need every part of the body serving in some way or another. And so some may serve in kids' ministry where you give up one hour um, a month on Sunday mornings to teach the gospel, to teach the Bible to kids next door in our kids' ministry. Some may serve that way. Others of you, you may not be gifted with the patience that you need to do that, which that's me. I would be terrible at it. So maybe some of you, the way you serve is by helping greet and welcome people on Sunday morning so that as they come here for the first time and they may be nervous and not know what to expect, you can greet them, offer them a warm smile and a handshake so that they know they are welcomed and loved and we are glad they're here. Then some of you may be kind of more shy or have some social anxiety and so you're not, you may not be gifted to kind of be out front and, and greeting people. So some serve by, by making coffee behind the scenes, preparing that for us so that there can be a warm and welcoming atmosphere when people come. Others may, may serve on um, the audio and video team in the, in the sound booth with all the technology of running sound or helping maintain the live stream and do all of those things. But the point is, is we all have different gifts. 
We all have different abilities, but all of us need to be serving or else the body, the family of the church won't be healthy. So the two ways that you're a part of the family by being in a group where you develop healthy Christ-centered relationships through which spiritual growth can happen and by using the gifts that God has given you to serve others, by doing those things, we are ensuring that we are striving to be a healthy, fully functioning family. So we expect you, if you're a member, to, to seek to be a part of the family. But then second, if you're a member, we expect you to say, I will take responsibility for the mission. Right again, being a church member is about understanding that you are a minister. And being a minister is about saying, I will take responsibility for the mission, which again is ultimately the Great Commission. And so the two practical ways you do this, the first is by giving. I know that like, nobody likes talking about this, but it is so critically important. The first way that we personally take responsibility for the mission of the church is by giving. In the church, it's the financial giving of all of us together which fuels the ministry to accomplish the Great Commission. You see, in the Old Testament, we, we see the birth of this thing called the tithe, which means 10%. And in the Old Testament, the people of God were called to bring the tithe, 10% of their crops or 10% of their income, to what was called the storehouse, right? The, the kind of New Testament pictures, you bring that 10% to the local church. And then Jesus, in Matthew 28, 28, Jesus actually affirms the tithe, where Jesus says, you should tithe, yes. So we're called to, to bring our financial offering to the church to help support the work of ministry. And it's through those gifts and ties that enables the church to move forward and take the Great Commission out into our community. So let me give you an example of how this plays out. We have a lot of events coming up for our community that we are really, really excited about. I'll tell you a few, um, coming up before Easter, what we're going to do is um, we're going to take sign-ups from 100 families here in our neighborhood, and we're going to go egg those families' yard. Like we're we're going to show up on the Friday night before Easter, drop hundreds of candy-filled eggs in their yard so that the next morning those kids can wake up, they can go out, find all those eggs, and we're going to serve our community by doing that so that the parents who are busy and have so much going on don't have to worry about that burden. Then after that, coming up around Father's Day, we'll have an event here on campus where we just invite the community and we have a father-son Nerf gun battle leading up to Father's Day. Then we're planning in our gym and fellowship hall in the next couple months to have a daddy-daughter dance where families in our community will be invited to come spend time together as fathers and daughters. Coming up in December, as we get to the Christmas season, we're looking at having in the south part of our parking lot an ice skating rink outside so that people in our community can sign up for a free time slot and come and ice skate outside in Houston when it's like 70 degrees in December and have that time with their family. And here's the deal. All of these things will be free and no questions asked for our community. And the reason is, so that when they start to ask, hey, why are you doing all of this for us? We can say, well, it's because we love you, but even better than that, there's a God of the universe who loves you, and he wants a relationship with you forever. 
But you see, we can't do those things. We can't minister to and serve our community without your financial giving, without your generosity. Those things cost money. And it's your giving, your obedience to give that fuels ministry, that fuels the mission of the church. So we expect members to say, I will take responsibility for the mission by giving. I won't just be a consumer. I will be a contributor. And then the second way we ask you to take responsibility for the mission is by inviting. Again, we say we are a family inviting others into the life-giving story of Jesus. So inviting others to find and follow Jesus. Again, that's not just my job. That's not just Carlos's job. That's not just Ryan's job. That's not just Chrissy's job. That's not just our staff's job. That's the job of every minister and every member is a minister. So as a minister, I mean, the expectation is that as you go out into the world and you live your normal day-to-day lives, you would be a light shining in the darkness. You would be building relationships with those who may be far from God so that you can share the love of God with them, so that you would invite them to follow Jesus or you would invite them to come here on a Sunday with you to church or maybe if they're uncomfortable with the whole church thing, maybe you just invite them first into your small group, in your home, so they can hear about this God who loves them and who has given everything for them. We have to shift from this mentality that it's the pastor's job to preach the gospel and lead others to Christ and invite others to follow Christ and understand that as church members, as ministers, it's all of our job to invite others to follow Christ. And let me just encourage you. This doesn't have to be like weird. It doesn't have to be awkward. Like this doesn't necessarily mean Um, like the only way to do this is to go up to a stranger's house and knock on the door and say, hey, can I ask you a question? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Because I'll be honest with you, as an introvert, I don't think I would do that. Like that freaks me out. And so when we talk about like you sharing the gospel, you inviting others to follow Jesus, like it, it doesn't have to be like that. It can be like that and that's great if you have that personality, but it doesn't have to be like that. Like just this morning, Laura One of our members, she was just sharing, she didn't even know we were talking about this, but she was sharing with me how at work this week, one of her coworkers who's not a Christian was having a rough week and had all this stuff going on in her life. And so Laura said, hey, I I, I give, do you mind like when I'm experiencing things like that, when I'm having a week where everything's just falling apart, there's this verse in the Bible that I read and it really gives me comfort. Do you mind if I show you that verse? And Laura opened up the Romans and read Romans 8.20, which says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. And Laura was able to begin this dialogue, begin this conversation of what does that mean to love God, to know God, to follow God, and what does it mean for God to love us and cause all things to work together? Just in, in the context of relationship, in paying attention relationally, seeing somebody's having a bad day and saying, hey, Could I share something with you that may encourage you because I know it encourages me? Through that, she's beginning that process of inviting this coworker to follow Jesus. It can be that simple as long as we have our eyes open, as long as we're paying attention, as long as we realize that God has called each of us to the work of ministry. Ministry isn't my job, it's not our staff's job. It's not the deacon's job. Ministry is all of our jobs. Let me read this one more time and we'll pray and be done. 
Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work or to do the work of ministry and build up the church, the body of Christ.